Welcome to our latest webinar for corporates. In this series, we'll be examining recent events and looking ahead at what might be in store for financial markets and the economy. Thank you very much and welcome everybody on what appears to be a, a, a very busy period in the UK economy and UK markets, uh, or from a UK economy and UK markets perspective, but also politically. Uh, as well. So hopefully we'll be able to deal with quite a lot of what's been going on over the course of, uh, well, the last sort of four or five weeks since the last call, um, but also what we see uh, ahead uh, from an economic and markets perspective. And I'll, I'll make some remarks with regard to politics as well. So uh, we'll dive straight into the content of the presentation today. And we'll look at uh, what we're, we're seeing from a macroeconomic perspective. So these were the June OECD forecasts for the uh, various important economies, the US, the euro area, the UK, um, but also the likes of Japan, China and India. Uh, and what I, I'd first say with regard to this is, although there's been a significant downgrade in these forecasts from the January set of numbers that the OECD produced, I still think these are too optimistic. And I think they're too optimistic because I think the effects of inflation are going to be far more damaging uh, on particularly discretionary spending. Uh, but equally as well, uh, since these forecasts were made, we've seen pronouncements from central banks that they're going to be even more potentially aggressive on monetary tightening than was previously anticipated. And so I think that the headwinds, as far as economic activity uh, is concerned, are intensifying and consequently the slowdown could be more severe and far faster than these forecasts factor in. I mean, if you look, for example, the OECD is saying that they expected stagnation in UK economic activity in 2023. Well, actually, I think we could be seeing a recession in the UK by the end of 2022. And similarly, I think the risks of recession for the US and the, and the Eurozone are far higher than are currently factored into market thinking. So uh, faster slowdown, possibly a more severe uh, economic downturn than is currently factored in. And, um, uh, and equally, the possibility, that at least in the short term, over the next few months, uh, we get still aggressive monetary tightening from central banks trying to address the, um, uh, the, the, the problems that we're seeing uh, as far as the inflation is concerned. But bear in mind, the vast bulk, if not all of the inflation that we're seeing is a combination of supply side disruption of labour market shortages and uh, uh, and equally of um, some stockpiling and some working capital problems that businesses are facing, um, all of which are going to feed through into supply-side-led inflation rather than demand-pull inflation, which is where demand-pull inflation is where um, trying to adjust monetary policy has its greatest impact. Supply-side issues, I'm not sure that, um, that the central banks really have much in their toolkit that will be able to address that. So moving on to the next slide, and, and, and this deals with the uh, inflation overshoot, the, the, the likes of the overshoot that we've seen, there was some signals, some soft signals uh, in recent months to suggest that the overshoot might be slowing down. But subsequent to that, we've seen things get worse in terms of energy prices, particularly in gas prices. 
Uh, and consequently, I think that will feed through onto a further substantial uplift in inflation rates across the UK, the Eurozone, and to a lesser extent, the US. But we're also seeing that agricultural prices are rising very sharply. I saw a, 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 an article in the media only yesterday talking about the price of butter or, or particular butter spreads um, rising to almost £10 for a one kilo tub of um, this particular brand. And so it does show that there's pressure throughout the agricultural sector and not just on things like wheat, where we've possibly seen some of the more significant price rises as far as commodities are concerned. We've seen a, a jump in inflation rates uh, across much of Euroland, although there was a surprise in terms of that Germany's inflation rate surprisingly dropped um, from 8.7% to 8.2%. Um, despite that, the Euroland rate rose from uh, uh, 8.1% to 8.6%. So that would suggest that there are other economies, smaller economies, that are experiencing far larger inflationary pressures across the euro area. And although we've, we've not yet seen average earnings catching up, we have seen a number of stories in the press about businesses across the US, the UK and the Eurozone uh, having to raise their, uh, their, their wages quite considerably uh, by uh, between 7 and 9%, some of the stories that have been in the media recently. And that would suggest that this inflation overshoot may last for longer again, driven by those labour problems that I've spoken about already. So the uh, overshade is likely to get worse before it get, gets better. I think we may well see, for example, that uh, inflation in the UK reaches a peak of over 12%. Uh, I think in, in the US and in the Eurozone, it's, it's likely to rise briefly into double digits before falling back. But for the UK... Um, some of the pressures will have been intensified by the weakness that we've seen in sterling recently. Moving on to the next slide. So interest rate expectations. Well, we continue to see market interest rate expectations exceed what I believe is going to be the peak for UK, <clears throat> Europe and US interest rates. Although the, the uh, probably greatest overshoots now are on UK uh, in interest rate expectations. For the US, because of the speed at which they're prepared to tighten, we may actually see US interest rates rising to the levels that the markets are predicting. But I would caution that the speed of the reductions in interest rates is still too slow if that is the case. So once this has a material and lasting damaging impact on the US economy, I think the Federal Reserve will have to reverse course extremely quickly and far faster than the markets are pricing in. And equally for the Eurozone, I think uh, whilst they may get interest rates above sort of 0.5 to 0.75%, I see it as increasingly less likely that over the remainder of this year, we will see European interest rates rise substantially from where they currently sit um, and where they're projected to go over the next couple of meetings. So the July and September meetings are expected to see the European Central Bank raising interest rates by three quarters of a percentage point. So that would get European interest rates back into positive territory. But beyond there, I think these uh, darkening economic skies 
are likely to create a, a degree of consternation and concern amongst the European central bankers such that they back away from a more aggressive tightening into the fourth quarter. So we move on to the next slide. I, I just wanted to put this up because I thought that the uh, the performance of the purchasing managers indices and the housing market um, has been quite interesting. And, and it's interesting because of the differentials that we see in economic performance. So take a look, for example, um, in, in terms of the performance of the uh, Northern Irish economy or indeed the Northeast economy um, on the PMI's table, which is the one on the left, um, performing quite poorly. <laughs> Interestingly, Northern Ireland are faced with the highest price rises at the moment as well. So that might be having a material impact on levels of business activity. As prices move higher, the levels of output uh, improvement have uh, moved lower and, uh, and actually fallen into uh, contractionary territory. And then you look and, and can contrast that with the performance in terms of the Southwest, which seems to be performing more strongly uh, in terms of the PMIs. Then move over to the, the, um, uh, the table for house prices and, and the, the house price data from the second quarter. This is the nationwide survey has shown that the Southwest is leading the way, followed by East Anglia and Wales. Um, and then uh, uh, we get down to London and Scotland performing the worst. Um, Northern Ireland actually at the bottom half of the table. So you can see that uh, this may be having a material impact in terms of uh, householder and consumer trends with regard to house purchase as well. I think that it definitely demonstrates that the squeeze on household incomes is, is starting to have that effect in terms of slowing down both business activity, because business activity is measuring both manufacturing and services, um, as well as house prices, as well as housing demand. So we may well see the housing market um, see fur a further slowdown in house price growth as we enter the second half of 2022 and into the first half of 2023. So what does that mean? Uh, moving on to the next slide. Um, well. I think all of these indicators are following a well-trodden path that we've seen from the confidence indicators. Manufacturing and also consumer confidence has been pushing lower. Um, that has been particularly evident in the UK consumer confidence surveys, but we've seen it in terms of German confidence, French confidence, uh, and also uh, Europe, Euro area confidence indicators, consumer confidence, at very low levels, in, in the UK's case, the lowest levels we've ever seen, in, in Europe's case, the lowest levels that we've seen outside of the pandemic for about uh, 11 or 12 years. And moreover, I think the US confidence are starting, uh, US confidence data is starting to move in tandem with one another again. So there was a, quite a divergence between the University of Michigan survey and the con conference board survey in the US. Conference Board survey took a big dip in the June readings. And I think when we get into July and August, these readings are going to worsen further. So just watch out for that, um, because that may be a signal that the risks of recession are starting to intensify as far as the US is concerned. And actually, it's the US economy that's seen as the 
least likely to go into recession as we we head into the second half of the year based on those confidence indicators, but also on uh, market measures of recessionary risks. Furthermore, we're starting to see a uh, a real sort of turmoil uh, uh, embroil most of the financial markets. So the movements on a day-to-day basis in equity markets or in bond markets or in FX markets is far larger. And certainly over the course of the last 24, 48 hours, we've seen additional pressure being put back on things like sterling against the US dollar, not so much against the euro. In fact, both sterling and the euro are, are suffering uh, against the US dollar. But I think if you look at the scale of the moves, that would suggest that there's a lot more volatility ahead uh, and potentially some new lows to be reached as far as those uh, foreign exchange markets are concerned. Which leads me neatly on to the next slide, uh, FX markets. I mean, the second quarter was pretty awful for the the pound. Let's not beat around the bush. We saw uh, an attempt to recover uh, as far as sterling was concerned, but ultimately that attempt to recover petered out pretty quickly. And I think, uh, as this slide suggests, there is further room for weakness as far as sterling is concerned. Um, We've probably done the vast bulk now of the weakness against the US dollar. I think where we might see sterling affected is its underperformance in terms of any recovery that we see against the US dollar relative to the recovery that we see in euro dollar and i think euro dollar still has a bit further room to fall as well potentially testing parity um but sterling dollar i think we're we're looking at it basing somewhere between 115 and 118 and then recovering thereafter but the recovery in euro dollar is likely to be more impressive in my opinion um, over the course of the next six to 12 months than the recovery that we're likely to see in sterling dollar. And if there is one thing I'd highlight as far as a risk to our official forecasts, it's that we may struggle to get through 127, 128 in sterling dollar, whereas I don't think that euro dollar will find the same challenge in the sort of 108 to 110 region, in which case, as I say, I, th- I think there that opens up downside risk for sterling euro, Uh, beyond the 115 that we're predicting here over the next 12 months, potentially down to 110 or even 107, 108. I think that's where I see significant risk in in sterling euro. But there's a lot of, uh, and and Piers Leslie, a a technical guru that we have on these calls, and he'll be returning in August, has already told us there are a number of levels um, uh, in the way as far as sterling euro is concerned before we threatened to to breach even the likes of 112, 113. But I see downside risks for sterling euro, um, sustainable downside risks for sterling euro, then I see sustainable downside risks for sterling dollar. So that's really it in terms of the update. Um, I hope that's been of interest and I hope that has uh, not frightened you too much. Thanks very much for listening to the webinar. We hope you found it informative. The next in the series will be available shortly.